once were two friends who were walking together in the middle of a big city during rush hour. And if you have ever been in a big city during rush hour, you know that it is noisy. There's the sound of cars and trucks and horns. There's the sound of people shuffling and talking. It's noisy. And as these two friends were walking along, one of them said, I hear a cricket. And the other said, no way. There is no way that you hear a cricket. It's too noisy, and besides, there aren't any crickets in the city. And so the friend said, let me show you, and stood for a moment and listened, and then walked over to a tree that was in a cement planter on the sidewalk and pulled aside the leaves, and there in the leaves was a little brown cricket. And the Fred said, oh my gosh, how did you hear that cricket in the middle of all this noise? You must have superhuman hearing. What's your secret? And the friend said, there isn't any secret. I don't have superhuman hearing. It's just the same as yours. Let me show you. And the friend reached in their pocket and pulled out some loose change and then tossed it on the sidewalk. And everybody within 30 feet turned their attention to where the sound of the money had come from, right? And the friend said, see, it's all a matter of what you are listening for. That's cool. That is cool, isn't I'm it? <laughs> Our first reading today is offered by Laura Yvonne Steinman, titled, Let Us Listen. Let us listen deeply to what is in our hearts. Let us listen to what our fears are. Let us listen to the young ones. Let us listen to the teens. Let us listen to the elders. Let us listen when the world is sick. Let us listen. Our second reading is The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, 
how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? don't pray. It wasn't long after I started my student ministry internship at First Unitarian Portland that I heard those words fly out of my mouth. <laughs> my teaching minister had asked if I was interested in co-leading a workshop with him, either on Lexio Divina, which is meditation on a sacred text, or prayer, and he wondered if I had a preference. Oh, let's do Lexio Divina, I don't pray. And even as I heard myself say this, I felt a twinge. And I remembered the wise words of a minister mentor who said to me, there are two things that every Unitarian Universalist minister needs to be able to do at the drop of a hat. Light a chalice <laughs> and pray. Hmm, I better pay attention. <laughs> and as often happens when something comes into my awareness, all of a sudden it, prayer was everywhere, right? Does that happen to you? And a few weeks after this conversation, the Church of the Larger Fellowship, our online congregation, did a blog and a service on prayer. I came across several references to prayer in my regular reading. And later that same spring, prayer was the topic of a lay minister retreat, a pastoral care retreat that I co-led. And in that retreat, we did an exercise where people listened deeply to each other's stories, and then they prayed for each other. It was beautiful to behold. I watched as pairs of people sat facing each other and listening deeply, looking into each other's eyes and wiping away tears. As people prayed together, they held hands, they bowed their heads, and they shared an intimate moment. It was lovely, and it was loving. Last spring, two members of this congregation Jim Anist and Neil Weinberg began a listening project here at OUUC. Their goal is to increase the capacity for deep listening in the world, beginning with their congregation. The listening project trained a dozen or so interviewers who then interviewed 38 people about their experience here at OUUC. 
Last month when we met in small groups as a part of our stewardship drive to talk about the future of OUUC, I asked about the listening project and held it up as one of the ways that we are building our skills in how to be together in community. And in every group, there was at least one person who had been an interviewer and at least one person who had been interviewed. And everyone spoke of this experience as deeply enriching and positive. Those who were listeners spoke of getting to know someone, even people they knew, in a much deeper way and in a more meaningful way. And those who had been listened to spoke about the profound experience of being heard and of being attended to. It was an experience of deep connection. So some of you have wondered what was the result of this project, and I can report that there was deep listening. And so Neil and Jim have met their goal of increasing the capacity for deep listening in the world, starting with their congregation. And I am happy to report that Jim Anist and Martha Nikoloff have begun a second round of the listening project. This month, training another group of interviewers who will be deep listeners and identifying yet another group of those who wish to be listened to. They have committed to continuing this project until everyone who wants to be listened to will be heard. If you are interested, I encourage you to reach out to Jim and Martha. And as I spoken with Martha and Jim and Neil about this project, I was reminded of the beginning of my social work training many years ago, when my fellow students and I gathered for the very first time on campus, we didn't begin with coursework per se. We spent the first weeks of our time together learning to listen. We practiced for six weeks, five days a week, all day long, we practiced listening. Yeah, we did some reading and we did some discussion about what we were reading, but mostly we practiced deep listening. We learned to listen with our whole bodies in addition to our ears. We learned to notice what is said and what is not said, what is underneath and around the words. And we learned to listen to what is being said without words in the body. And this is a practice that I learned and I continue to practice, not always getting it right, but always practicing. This month, our spiritual theme is attention. As Soul Matter says, what does it mean to be a people of attention? The root of the word attention is the Latin word attentionem, which literally means to stretch toward. When we pay attention to someone or something, we turn toward them. We stretch toward them. We lean in. And notice that we say, pay attention. 
philosopher, mystic, and political activist Simone Weil said this, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. This is a definition of attention from inward, outward, together that I especially like. Attentiveness is the capacity to be one-pointed, listening at ever-deepening levels of awareness. Ultimately, our ability to do this is derived from the meditative practices and contemplative exercises that we undertake. They help us awaken and fine-tune our attention. It goes like this. Find a practice and do it with discipline. And then bring the quality of that attentiveness into your external experience. We would call this practical mysticism. I really love the term practical mysticism. That fits um, and really resonates with me. And no doubt we will talk more about this because next month our spiritual theme is awe. But for today, I invite us to focus on the idea that spiritual and contemplative practices help us awaken and fine-tune our attention. So spiritual practices are tools that help us slow down, pay attention, focus, or empty our minds. This is a definition offered by Reverend Scott Alexander in his book, Everyday Spiritual Practices. He suggests that any spiritual practice is aimed at inviting us to better understand our connectedness, to have a sense of our oneness, and to know that our yearning for community can be met in reality in this world. When we practice, we pause, we pay attention, and we appreciate that which is right before us. Or, as Mary Oliver puts it, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. We are engaged in one of those spiritual practices right now. When we gather together on Sunday morning to worship, we are in a spiritual practice. The root of the word worship is the old English worship, meaning to be of worth. When we worship, we hold up that which is of worth, that which we value. So for example, when we gather together, we stretch toward creating community. There are a million other things that we all could be doing this morning, and we chose to be here. We chose to give the gift of our attention to each other. And we chose to give the gift of our attention to creating community. Spiritual practice requires choice. It requires discipline. It requires remembering to do it, persistence in doing it, and a commitment to do it. 
So as a, spart, a part of my spiritual journey, I've explored prayer as a spiritual practice. Every religious tradition has some way of inviting us to pay attention, something that helps us focus our minds and our hearts, a practice that invites us to stretch toward. It might be praying with words or silent meditation. It might be chanting or whirling. It might be walking or sweating. No matter what the practice is, it's the quality of our engagement with it that makes it spiritual and makes it a prayer. A few years ago, a meditation blog that I follow told about the prayer practice of some Buddhist monks. It seems that these monks traveled around a lot by car. So just have that image, monks in robes in a car driving around. And as they did so, they felt called to stop and pray for the animals on the side of the road who had been killed, killed by cars and trucks and traffic. So when they came across an animal that had died, they would stop and they would all get out of the car and they would circle around the animal and they would say a prayer. And if they were able, they would get the shovel out of their trunk and they would bury the animal. Their practice of seeing worth in all living things and doing no harm called them into this prayer practice to perform this act of compassion. So in the years since reading about this, I have added prayer to my driving. And not just prayers for safety, although there are plenty of those. I notice the animals along the way that are on the side of the road who have died on the road, and there are many. There are birds, big and small, squirrels and other small critters, cats and dogs, coyote and deer, and one time in the stretch between Salem and Portland, a beaver. And as I notice, I feel compassion for those animals and for their death. And as I notice, I have developed a prayer that I say. I say it over all of the animals that I see on the road now. And with this practice, my driving has changed. I don't believe that the prayer does much for the body of the animal. They don't come back to life and it doesn't change the nature of their death. I do pray for their spirit that it may return to the one, to the well from which we all come. What prayer does is it opens my heart and it increases my awareness. My heart opens as I feel compassion for the creatures that we share the world with and for whom cars and trucks are dangerous. It shifts my focus allowing me to feel connected to the greater web of life. And I figure if I am connected and aware even for just a few moments, that's a good thing. It's very easy to drive on autopilot, right? For those of you who drive, especially on a familiar stretch of road. 
This practice of noticing and praying for the animals helps me stay aware while I am driving. And I notice not only the animals who have died, but I notice the animals who are alive. I see the great blue heron standing in the marsh. I see the coyote loping across the field. I see the owl perched on a fence post. The beauty in the world, in our interconnected web of existence is more real as I become more aware. During my ministry, I've had many people ask me to pray with them and pray for them. And at first, this was stressful for me. And I often would use prayers written by others in order to meet this important request. Over time, I have learned to listen deeply to myself and to whoever is in front of me, a person or a congregation, and to listen deeply to the world. And I write my own prayers and say my own prayers. I saw and heard the importance of prayer, the effect that it had on other people and also the effect that it had on me. A sense of connection, a sense of being heard, an opportunity to release the tears. I am grateful for this invitation into spiritual practice. Mary Oliver says, I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention. And so I paid attention to the sacred and to the holy. And as I did so, I became aware of the prayer practices that were already in my life. Meditation is a prayer. Praying doesn't require words. Singing is a prayer, especially when we sing together. Prayer doesn't require a bowed head or amen. And over time, I realized, oh, I really do pray after all. So now I understand prayer as a way to pay attention, to stretch toward. It doesn't require a being to be prayed to. It requires attention with discipline to the inner and the outer, stretching toward that which is holy. In worship together, we pray with words, with music, and with silence. We offer words to focus our thoughts and acknowledge that which we hold as sacred and holy. We offer music and we sing together to pay attention to our hearts and to our breath. And we offer silence to pay attention to the still, small voice that is within us. And we do all of this that we may stretch toward that which is beyond us to develop an awareness of what is and what can be, and to develop the strength to move the arc of the universe toward peace and justice. His Holiness the Dalai Lama said this about prayer. I think prayer is, for the most part, a simple daily reminder 
of your deeply held principles and convictions. I myself repeat certain Buddhist verses every morning. The verses may look like prayers, but they're actually reminders. Reminders of how to speak to others, how to deal with other people, how to deal with the problems in your daily life, things like that. So for the most part, my practice involves reminders, reviewing the importance of compassion, forgiveness, and those kinds of things. Late this past Thursday evening, as I was leaving the building, I peeked into one of the classrooms down on the other side, and it was filled with people. Gathered there were Jim and Martha and the next group of listeners for the listening project. I saw them practicing intently. They didn't even know I was there. They were building capacity here for the spiritual practice of deep listening and building community together. They committed to turn their attention to the discipline of deep listening to the words and beyond the words. They were stretching toward each other, toward community, and toward the sacred. How we spend our moments is how we spend our days. And how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, our wild and precious lives. Through this month, I invite you to notice how and to what you pay attention. How do you pay attention in any given moment? Where do you offer the generous gift of your attention? How are you spending your one wild and precious life? May we listen deeply to the earth and all her creatures. May we listen deeply to ourselves and to each other. May we listen deeply to that which calls us to be our best selves, that we may offer the gift of our attention to this hurting world. <laughs>